welcome to rhetoric Orama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And this episode is on the rhetoric of true crime. A recent subscriber, Sheena from Northwest Arkansas, uh, contacted us and said she was a big fan of true crime podcasts. And here we are. Thanks for the suggestion, Sheena. Uh, before we get started, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Et eight dominus ad cain ubi est able frater tuus qui respondit, nescio, num custos fratris mei sum. Oh, that's brotherly love right there, Tim. Now, Tim, true crime podcasts, they're a significant cultural phenomenon, I think you'd agree. Uh, but the true crime genre uh, is spread across a variety of forms of media uh, books, movies, podcasts, uh, but not too much talk radio. Unless, of course, we consider most of talk radio is a crime against truth, but I digress. And don't forget popular music. Bruce Springsteen's critically acclaimed Nebraska and Nick Cave's murder ballads drink deeply from the gory wells of true crime. <laughs> Historically, we can see elements of true crime in such ancient texts as Oedipus Rex or the biblical account of Cain and Abel. Mm, brotherly love. Uh, and I guess like uh, all other parts of ancient mythology, lessons from religion and the, uh, the patron saint of New Jersey rock, Mr. Springsteen, uh, the true crime genre benefits the audience uh, with lessons on what can be dangerous or not. Uh, it's almost like, here's what happened. Uh, here, here are the people uh, who can do this kind of bad stuff. So you should be alert. Some scholars believe that women are especially drawn to true crime because of fear, fear of being the victim. One theory states that since women are more likely to be victims of crime, the true crime genre gives them insights into how to recognize and avoid bad situations, to avoid danger. So they are consciously or unconsciously drawn to such material. That said, much has been written about how both newspapers and popular programs like Law & Order misrepresent the facts about crime by dramatically over-representing its occurrence. Mm. And scholars also believe uh, people who uh, watch true crime to uh, understand the psychology of abnormal folks. Uh, people like uh, you, Tim, I think, <laughs> right? Uh, learning about how and why these people do these terrible crimes. And they also, these uh, uh, true crime gives us an escape from the routineness and boredom of middle-class life uh, to see, you know, what else is going on in the world. But true crime also serves uh, as a social history of sorts, telling about the, uh, the times and the situation of many crimes uh, the accounts of Jack the Ripper, assassination of presidents and religious leaders, tales of gangsters, the mafia, uh, and the uh, the sixties in Freehold Borough, New Jersey, uh, Bruce Springsteen's hometown, right? Mm -hmm. um, from that song, "My Hometown," which I would consider true crime, um, and more than just the social life, true crime often focuses on the conditions of the community and uh, the society, which in some systems create uh, a system that bright might bring forth such crime. And uh, so, and I guess as the Cain and Abel references have suggested, while true crime has been around for, you know, several millennia, uh, the form uh, currently, uh, the most prevalent f uh, form of true crime genres in the U.S. starts with Truman Capote. Most scholars have noted that. Tim, you want to try this one? Sure. Many scholars attribute the modern era of true crime with Truman Capote's 1966 book, In Cold Blood, which tells the true story of two recently released convicts who murdered a family of four in Kansas in 1959. 
Were you one of those people, Tim? No, no, I was not involved in that one. Okay. Rather than focus from the detective's point of view of solving the crime, Capote wrote the story with the killers as the main protagonists. To do this, Capote interviewed the killers while on death row. You'd see this type of approach in more modern true crime stories, interviews with serial killers and such. And there was a focus on how the crime affected the community and the fear and anxiety those crimes created and revealed. There would be interviews with members of the community or those associated with the crimes. Uh, yeah, and, and because of this approach, um, many compare the true crime genre uh, authors and creators of such, uh, they compare them to journalism, but there's a big difference, I would say. Uh, journalists typically report the facts, while the true crime writers uh, often become subjectively and uh, or emotionally involved in the story. Where, you know, journalists typically use that inverted pyramid, starting with the most newsworthy part and then going into the mind-numbing details, you know, as the uh, column goes on. Where, on the other hand, true crime people, uh, they use literary devices such as cliffhangers, numerous twists and turns in their writing uh, to kind of draw and keep people's attention. You don't necessarily see that in journalism. Uh, and I mean, how many times, Tim, have you been sitting there uh, and listening to a podcast and some bombshell uh, information is dropped right at the end of the podcast and you have to wait for another week for that episode to be released or I guess you could pay for it to come out earlier? Um, yeah, journalists typically don't do that. However, there's an adage about journalism that says, if it bleeds, it leads, which speaks to both the emphasis that journalists give to crime and its overrepresentation in the news, as was documented by a group of Canadian sociologists in their book, Visualizing Deviance, a Study of News Organization. Uh, I, I was always under the impression there was no uh, crime in Canada. I, th I think so. their data was coming from the U.S. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, the rest of the world. So uh, I guess now we should uh, uh, transition and spend some time focusing on some of the conventions of true crime as a genre itself. Agreed. Uh, but I guess we should say, right, so uh, true crime has been around for a long time. Uh, it's on many different media uh, formats. Um, so there's many different definitions and theory about the tr true crime genre, uh, which has certainly evolved over time. So uh, we decided to focus on some of the more recent conventions uh, which includes a number of elements. The most obvious, it seems, is that the details need to be accurate. Nothing made up. Otherwise, true crime isn't really true crime. And the crimes are often about emotionally charged crimes, murder and whatnot. Yes. Uh, you never hear a true crime podcast about, you know, uh, stealing a pack of gum. <laughs> uh, but here's a, here is a serious variation upon a theme. It's an actual podcast by which I mean. Um, there was a recent podcast that I listened to called Who Shat on My Floor at My Wedding, uh, which tells the two story of two women who got married on a boat. I'm not sure why the boat's important to this uh, synopsis, but here you go. Uh, and someone, you'll be shocked to learn, decided to poop on the floor at the women's loo, which tells you that, that this is a podcast from the UK. <laughs> you definitely got that, Tim. Uh, but more than that, that true crime isn't always about murder and those kind of bad things. Uh, but I think we can agree that pooping outside of a toilet, not in the toilet, but outside the toilet, is a terrible transgression, whether it's at one's wedding or uh, birthday party, Agreed. Halloween, anything like that. But, but it should be noted that a lot of true crime is about murder and such, and the mm -hmm. nature of the crime scenes, autopsies, must be described in vivid detail and play a key role in sensationalizing the forensics of the crime, and that's a key part to the genre. In books, these were the picture sections where pictures would present 
uh, details. In podcasts, there are typically elaborate recite websites where more details can be found. Moreover, listeners can create a community on discussion boards and such. This interactivity, or what some some call participatory culture, is one reason true crime podcasts are so popular. Yeah, it's um, it's like a murder mystery that are people trying to figure out, uh, like they've done on Saved by the Bell. I'm not familiar with that reference. I'm, I'm sure Sheena is, but... Whatever you say, Dave, but back to the point. Okay, um... So it's it's not just that the crime needs the details, uh, that the details of the crime and such need to be elaborately explained, but the place does too. The place is often a frequently highlighted part, uh, important part of the story. There's much talk of the farmhouse in Capote's book, just as there are many thick descriptions of places of Baltimore in the investigative journalism podcast called Serial. But it's also the details of society, the changes in the world, the agricultural, mechanical, technological, and other ickles. Nice, right? Um, and another key part of the genre is justice. Uh, justice uh, for the victim is usually at the center of the story, but sometimes there isn't uh, always a clear-cut victim. Uh, the wrongly accused, for example, uh, could be the victim, or in another sense, the, uh, the wrong person convicted for a crime could be uh, the injustice. Uh, could be. But the key distinction I think that we see in the true crime podcast is that the main character is the host. It's almost as saying, here's the case I've been working on and researching. And the host, producer, and the writer of the true crime uh, is one of advocacy and involvement. The person isn't just an objective retailer of the facts, uh, like we mentioned earlier, uh, comparing it to journalism. These people are emotionally invested in the case. And I think we could say the same of true crime in print as well. Oh, that's a good point, Tim. That's a good point. On the other side of this discourse is the audience. The audience is not just asked to listen, but to reconsider what is known, to think about the evidence in a different way. The listeners get to be an armchair detective slash investigator. It's a real whodunit. Yeah, and unfortunately, sometimes uh, this convention of the genre results in a lack of closure, uh, where the ending is very unclear. Uh, and people usually tend to get upset when there's a lack of closure, because we like to have, you know, we need to know who finished, who did it, who did what, those kind of things. And when we don't get that information, uh, it can be a little frustrating. Uh, and that reminds me of this Tom Segura joke about making a murder, our popular uh, uh, true crime uh, series on Netflix, I believe it was. Uh, we should mention Netflix is not a sponsor of the show, uh, but we are open to ideas. Feel free to contact us at rhetoric.fun uh, at gmail. So the Tom Segura joke, right? He asks, uh, he asks the audience, goes, do you think that guy killed that woman? And you hear the audience go, yes, no. And then there's some, you know, more yeses, no, yes, no, back and forth like that. Some people get a little louder saying yes. People get even more louder and say no. And then Tom, uh, he delivers the punchline. And that's what it's like watching this series. You give them a week of your life and then they tell you to figure it out. It's just frustrating, right? People want closure. And the genre's convention of questioning every little detail results in almost zero closure. It's, it's, it's the, uh, what is it? They bring up more questions than they answer uh, that old trope. So uh, with this lack of closure, what this suggests is that meandering and red herrings uh, play a key part in this genre. And so frequently these true crimes um, stories 
They follow a number of paths, which eat at a dead end, but they're, they're told nonetheless. This seems to be associated with making the audience question the evidence. As a consequence, the tales of true crime are massive. In the literature world, they run 400 to 800 pages. Documentaries are often a long series where people can binge watch. Podcasts are a long series, often coming out weekly in an episodic format. Yeah, and that, that kind of keeps people coming back when they're released in a series like that, as opposed to being binge-watched. And I think that's why True Crime is a very popular podcast format. One, perhaps, Tim, that we should take up in this format, but we'll deal with that later. So let's wrap up by hitting a few themes that we find in True Crime. Um, the, one of the key themes that True Crime uh, books and other kind of stories uh, uphold are the values that the police are the heroes and criminals are to be punished sometimes by death, right? It's that investigative force of the police. Uh, interesting in podcasts, it's also the podcaster comes in to question everything that the police has done. So I don't know if that convention would hold up in podcast world. And uh, another theme is that the focus is on deviant people, as we mentioned, uh, far from the different suburban middle-class consumers of the true crime literature. In Capote's book, there were two ex-convicts who invaded and killed the peaceful farm family. And the most popular selling true crime book of all time was about the Manson family, a group of individuals far removed from normal suburbia. Another biggie was Norman Mailer's Pulitzer Prize-winning true crime novel, The Executioner's Song. But much of this changed in the 70s, when the genre began focusing on crimes and violence within the family, committed by men who otherwise seemed upstanding and respectable. Eventually, there were tales of cops and doctors gone bad. Ah, uh, the threat comes from within, Tim. That's the idea. All right, Tim. So uh, uh, what's what are the lessons here? Um Obviously, we can say that the true crime genre has some unique characteristics, which we just uh, went through a number of them, uh, that differentiate it from other forms of discourse. Uh, but what else should we take away from all this? Well, it seems that true crime isn't as new as some people think it to be. It has a rich history. And true crime is more than just entertainment. It provides value in that it can help protect the audience. But there are some questionable parts of the genre we should highlight. True crime as a genre has been criticized because it takes advantage of some unfortunate and horrible events that have befallen innocent people and uses them, ultimately, for the sale of books and commercials. Some have a problem with that, and I see their point. But we have to weigh that against the lessons and insights these stories have. That's a very good point, Tim. Um, and I guess with that being said, uh, who's, who is sponsoring this episode? Today's episode is sponsored by a great new tool for researchers, the Index of Statistical Refutations. We've all heard the quotation about lies, damn lies, and statistics, and some of us have even read the 1954 classic, How to Lie with Statistics. But few of us have the research skills necessary to find the statistics we need to counter someone else's argument. That's where the Index of Statistical Refutations comes in. This comprehensive database of government statistics on topics such as crime rates, income disparity, disease, nutrition, and sexual activity is now a searchable database upon whatever claims you wish to support or refute. For example, you can simply enter the phrase, cheeseburgers are good for you, along with the modifiers pro or con, and find ample data to support your claim that the cheeseburgers are healthy or will kill you faster than smoking meth. All this and more is at your fingertips for the modest fee of $19.95 per month. That's the index of statisticalrefutations.com to find actual data to support or refute any proposition. 
And I can tell you, Tim, uh, 77% of our listeners do subscribe to that and find a great benefit out of it. I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim at Seen on TV McGee. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been rhetoric rama a podcast about all things rhetoric. If you have any questions or you're looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library. Uh, and thanks to, uh, for the suggestion for this episode from Sheena in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, if anyone else has an idea, feel free to email us at rhetoric.fun at gmail.com, especially if you're Netflix and wish to uh, sponsor us. And if you like what we're doing, uh, please feel free to leave a review, which will help others find us. Excellent.